with the able account we have a whole range from i can manage the account all by myself to somebody else needs to do everything and there's a lot of room in between supported decision making can kind of be like a a spectrum in between those two points and i think able accounts can help people figure out where on that spectrum is going to be a good fit for them This is Josh and this is Mandy and you're listening to the Oregon Transition Podcast brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network and professionals across the state. From rural to urban, from your living room to your classroom to your community to your employer, we are here to do a deep dive into the transition services in Oregon. Oregon, this is your story. Welcome to the Oregon Transition Podcast Season 4. Hi Josh. Hey, Mandy, we're in person and we're not on Zoom. I know. It's the first time ever I've recorded a podcast in person. Well, congratulations. It feels like the first time ever for me, too, because I haven't done this in person in years. Today's episode is on supported decision making. About a year ago, House Bill 2105 passed in Oregon, which requires schools to talk about supported decision making in IEP meetings. I think this is such an exciting topic, and I was able to connect with Vocational Rehabilitation Pre-ETS Coordinator Tony DePeel and ask her, what is supported decision-making? Supported decision-making is when a youth or an adult, or even us, we ask for help. We ask for help with making decisions, and we all do that. And so teaching a way for students and adults to have like a format of who they could ask. So it's like pre-planning, thinking about who am I going to ask to support me in my decisions, and the decisions can be in a lot of different areas. Is guardianship and supported decision-making the same thing or different? So the difference is, is that with supported decision making, you still have all of your rights and you have not given any of your rights up and but you're asking people to help you make decisions. So it's pre thought out generally, maybe that you have somebody, maybe a family member or a a parent or even somebody, a trusted person that you know that helps you make decisions, maybe with medical or safety issues and a lot of different things like that. And with guardianship, somebody may just take and make all those decisions for you. Many times, even though you have guardianship, you're still making small decisions, but things that are of large, maybe money decisions and all those are given to that person to make the final decision. So it sounds like supported decision making is very empowering for a student because you get to make your life decisions. Right. In supported decision making, there's some tools that you can work with an adult or a trusted friend that's going to be helping you make these different decisions and you pre-think them out. So you know who your person is. You know who you're going to go and ask for help. Mandy, have you ever used supported decision making in your life? Oh, I use supported decision-making all the time. I think last week I have a perfect example. I went out to my car. I was going to do some errands. I tried to start it up and nothing. My car wouldn't work. All of a sudden, I didn't know what to do. My car is locked in my garage. It won't start. How am I going to get it out? What mechanic can I take it to? 
So I called my friends that work on cars and I asked a simple question, what do I do next? How can you help me discover what the process are to get my car fixed? Long story short, got it towed out of the garage, got it towed to the shop, got it fixed, and I was able to drive around. What a relief. Yes. How about you, Josh? Do you have any supported decision-making stories? Oh, yeah. Five years ago, I left my teaching job, which I love, to become a transition network facilitator. That's obviously a big life-changing decision. So before making that decision, I talked to my wife. I talked to some friends. I even talked to Chris Rita, who's a transition network facilitator, and I did a job shadow with her to make sure I was making the right decision. That's awesome. So supported decision-making can be little, can be small, but as long as we have the right team, we really are talking through the potential of our future. Exactly. And it's something that we've been doing for a long time. We now have a name for it. Absolutely. Today's podcast is going to feature some examples of how we're using supported decision-making with our students. So to start out, we're going to hear from Donna Lowry, who is a TNF Pre-Ed Support Specialist in Eastern Oregon, and Desiree Berry, who is a Pre-Ed Coordinator in Central Oregon, on how they are using supported decision-making when doing job exploration with students. Take it away, Donna. We had that one summer with the work experience, a student was working in one business area and you could tell that they just did not like what they were doing, which a lot of us don't necessarily like all aspects. So the coordinator chatted with them. Is there something else you want to do? You need to be able to speak up. And they were able, they wanted to work in the food service industry and they went and found a different spot for this young person to work and they thrived at it. Maybe it isn't necessarily failure, but that wasn't what they really wanted to do. So they weren't happy within their spot. They found an area that they did want to work and they were overjoyed and they excelled and they had a great summer experience because of that and helping them learn to use their voice and feel comfortable enough with the person that's helping them that they can honestly express how they feel about the position that they are either short-term work experience, job shadow, whatever it is, having that connection with their supports that they can advocate for themselves is very, very important. There's been so many students, and I wouldn't say it's in any one in particular comes to mind, but with every student and even myself included, looking back at my journey to get here or any student's journey, they're constantly learning. They should be constantly learning and building upon if it's a job shadow or an internship or they get a part-time job. Maybe they learn that they don't really like working outdoors. So the next time they take this piece, you know, and and get a job that does their favorite part of that and they build and they build until they get to a career. I did have my own child. (laughs) She wanted to be a massage therapist. So she took a job at a spa. Well, she has ADHD and discovered real quick that to stand there and be still the whole time was just, she just couldn't do it. She's like, I just don't like it, which thank goodness was before she enrolled in college classes, you know, before that expense was incurred. Had she done what what we do with a lot of our students, which is some of these work experiences, job shadows, internships to begin with, 
she could have missed that whole step. So that's where the importance does come from in learning your strengths. Watching a kid go in to an internship or to a new job and discovering something that they didn't know that they were good at and really building on that and going to the next level with that or realizing that I'm really good at working with people and maybe this is retail, so now I'm gonna go into human services. Watching a student make those discoveries is part of what's so exciting about this job. I think failure comes when you don't try something. And at least our, our students are willing to take a risk. So there really isn't a failure. It's just, let's try something else. It's pretty incredible that both Donna and Desiree were able to talk about how they were able to help students with supportive decision-making in a situation where they just were not finding that perfect fit in work. It wasn't supporting what they wanted. It really wasn't supporting their pins, let's be honest. So once they checked in with Donna and Desiree, they were able to find either a summer work experience or a job or a situation where they were able to thrive. And they were able to earn some money from those experiences. We've said this a lot on this podcast, but work is for everyone. Anyone who wants to work can work with the right supports at minimum wage or higher. That means that individuals are starting to bring home a pretty nice paycheck. And saving for some of the things that they really want to buy or use or need. Let's talk about how individuals can be supported financially. Hi, my name is Kaylin Hessel-Owens. I am the Advocacy and Outreach Manager at the Oregon State Treasury. Basically, I am the main point person in the state for the Oregon Able Savings Plan. Essentially, an ABLE account is a way for people with disabilities to save money and not lose any of their state or federal benefits. There are many really important programs out there like SSI and Medicaid, and they say if you have $2,000 that you can't get those services anymore. And $2,000 is not a lot of money. Like that's not going to be enough to get your first apartment. So for decades, people with disabilities were basically forced to live in poverty to get their health insurance, to get like a personal support worker and their healthcare needs met. But thankfully, a few years ago, Congress realized that wasn't the best idea and they allowed for these accounts to be created. So now state governments can offer these accounts to people and you are able to save money in there and not have it against that $2,000 asset or resource limit. So now someone on SSI can save up to $100,000 in an ABLE account and still get all of the benefits and services that they need. And if they're not on SSI, then they can save even more money. It's really been a game changer for folks. You know, Now getting their first apartment is an actual realistic goal. And we've had people who are able even to dream bigger and buy their own house for the first time. So it sounds like the ABLE account is really for those big ticket items, the big things that we want to spend money on. Exactly. If a person is eligible for an ABLE account, that person should also have a checking account at a bank or credit union. The paycheck that the individual gets from work or the SSI check or both go into their checking account. The individual will pay their monthly expenses with the checking account. The money that they have left over at the end of the month can be transferred to the ABLE account. And that money can be saved for 
a big ticket item. Yeah, like the car you've always wanted, maybe an apartment that you've always been interested in, hey, maybe even a house. In thinking about an ABLE account, is this something that you have to do on your own? Let's have Kaylin answer that question. So when we started the Oregon ABLE Savings Plan, we decided to build it with a presumption of confidence at the center. So we decided to plan as if all of our savers can manage their accounts completely independently. We knew this was not going to be the case for all of our savers, but we thought it was really important to focus on what they could do and to speak directly to the individual. So in all my presentations, I'm talking like to a person with a disability instead of just about them. And that comes through in a bunch of different things that we do. That's just the most obvious. And then uh, we also have alternatives for people uh, who need or just want more support because, you know, life's overwhelming. If you need some, if you want somebody else to take on more of this responsibility, that's fine. But we recognize that when people can manage their own money, that they have greater self-determination more confidence and you know research has actually showed that making decisions like that can make them safer let's talk about the supports of the oregon able account you can have one of your support people help you open an account you can open it on your own you can ask questions there are so many supports available some of those might include something like if you got a debit card and you wanted to put daily limits on how much you're spending to make sure you're staying within your budget it's important to know that supported decision making is a spectrum. You might just have the ABLE account and that might be enough. Or you can choose to enlist somebody to help you. Now, Josh, as a pre-ants coordinator, how would I learn a little bit more about ABLE accounts to support the students I'm working with? Kaylin works for the Oregon State Treasury and she partnered with Financial Beginnings, which is a nonprofit to teach individuals financial literacy. Kaylin and Financial Beginnings put together a curriculum that teaches students about financial literacy and managing ABLE accounts. They can come to your school, either virtually or in person, to teach your students financial literacy. They were able to pilot this curriculum with Park Rose School District in the Portland area and FACT Oregon last year. And it was very successful. That's amazing. If you would like Kaylin and Financial Beginnings to come to your school, please contact your local Transition Network facilitator and we will help connect you. And if you're interested in just diving in and opening your own savings account, you are going to want to go to OregonAbleSavings.com. Kaylin just has one more piece of advice. Don't go to a local bank or credit union and ask for an ABLE account. The only place that you can get an ABLE account is through the state of Oregon or one of the other states that offers them. It's still a great idea to go to your local bank or credit union and open up a regular checking account or savings account, but know that they can't offer ABLE. So far on this podcast, we talked about support with job exploration, support with financial literacy, what about higher ed? So we have a brand new program in VR to help support. Let's hear from the director. 
I am Sabrina Cunliffe. I am the ICAP Program Manager for Vocational Rehabilitation. ICAP stands for the Inclusive Career Advancement Program, and that is a partnership between Oregon VR and the community colleges around the state to support students in career pathway education at our local community colleges that have disabilities. So that's fantastic. Vocational rehabilitation now is supporting individuals in community colleges. Absolutely. And giving them that supportive decision-making base of how can we make this step a little bit easier. Maybe not a giant leap, just a little step. Now, we all know that there is a big difference between high school and college. I asked Sabrina how ICAP can assist students as they navigate community college. Well, it depends on the type of disability, right? All sorts of people have different needs and different accommodations. And something that that occurred prior to ICAP is that navigating and getting the necessary accommodations they needed to be successful in the classroom could sometimes be arduous and difficult, right? They would need to access accessibility services, for example, independently. They would need to apply for apply for admittance, navigate financial aid, navigate their advising sessions. All of those things would need to be happening independently for a student, right, before they ever attended classes. And that can be a lot of steps and a lot of hoop jumping and a lot of misinformation for a student for them to navigate and figure out. And as you and I know who have both been in a college setting, sometimes all of those different processes and hoop jumpings are actually harder than the coursework themselves. And so what ICAP does is it puts puts an actual person that's a liaison to your vocational rehabilitation counselor on the community college campus. They're referred to as your career coach. And that is someone that is on the campus that can help you navigate all the different resources that are available, help you navigate your relationship with accessibility services, have you navigate your relationship with your advisors, have you navigate your relationship with financial aid, and any other systems that you might need to have in place in order to sort of make it through all of those different steps and pieces that you don't even realize that you need to do when you're walking walking to college and, and getting that, particularly if you don't have a family member or someone that's done that before that can help you navigate that. So ICAP sort of takes that mystery out of it for students and gives them a trusted person that they've built a relationship with to meet with on a regular basis to see how they're doing, see if they're on track that sort of thing. And then as they progress towards graduation or uh, finishing the certificate program or whatever it is that they might be enrolling in, that's a career pathway. That person can then help them also to parlay that into employment with uh, job search strategies and all of those sorts of things that they'll need to actually get a job in the area in which they've completed their studies in. So now that we know what ICAP is, how do you get involved? How can you become part of ICAP? Sabrina, can you answer that? The first step to be connected with an ICAP career coach, to be part of ICAP at a community college, they must be a VR client first. So their first step is to uh, apply for vocational rehabilitation services if they're not already, and to then let their VRC or their vocational rehabilitation counselor know that they're interested in some sort of post-secondary education track. 
community colleges have a wealth and vast amount of different opportunities from career pathway certificates all the way up to associate's degrees. There can be some short-term trainings that last less than a year or more robust trainings, or even just stackable and steppable trainings that will maybe get them on the right path, go out and work for a little bit. If they want to advance more, they can come back to the community college and go and work a little bit until they find the right niche and the right area that they want to be. Together with their voc rehab counselor, obviously they'll explore options, have to still go through that application process, that eligibility process, and that comprehensive vocational assessment process, which is key to VR. And in VR, when you choose your career goal, is training a component of that, right? So when they look at your interests, abilities, strengths, resources, priorities, concerns, abilities, and capabilities, your counselor and the student will decide together if a career pathway is an appropriate next step. And if so, then they would be referred to their local career coach at the community college where they're anticipating attending that meets that career goal. Being a part of ICAP gives an individual attending community college supports. You have support of the career coach, So you have vocational rehabilitation counselor, you are attending 18 to 21 school district services, you will have school district supports. If you're part of YTP, you'll have YTP supports. These are all folks that are there to help support you, help guide you in making decisions, and help you become successful. The really fun thing about all this team approach is that we are creating this for you. This is an individualized approach, just like all VR services. So it's tailor fit for you, what your needs are and how we can help support you. And that's what the team is going to do. We started out this episode by talking about House Bill 2105, which was the bill that requires schools to talk about supported decision-making in IEP meetings. Let's talk about what this means for schools right now. Starting on January 1st, 2022, school districts are required to discuss supported decision-making at each IEP meeting that includes post-secondary goals and transition services. School districts are required to provide resources for individuals and families on supported decision-making. Schools are not required to guide towards any product or outcome. Our goal for this podcast was to just share examples of how individuals can be supported. Absolutely. And just to say also, we all use supported decision-making in our daily lives, in our big decisions, in our little decisions. And to empower someone to be able to make those big decisions by themselves, we're going to be able to see students soar. And isn't that always our goal? Always. So Mandy, I'm going to use the supported decision making with you right now. Do you think it's time to end the podcast? Why Josh, yes I do. I think we've summed it up pretty well. In that case, voice a pod. Peace out, pod people, and be well. The Oregon Transition Podcast is brought to you by the TTAN, the Transition Technical Assistance Network with support from Vocational Rehabilitation and Oregon Department of Education. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast belong to the individuals, not necessarily the supporting agencies. The Oregon Transition Podcast is produced by Mandy Younger, Josh Barber, Jody Johnson, and the podfather, Lon Thornburg. Additional interviews are provided by members of the TTAM. 
Our theme music is composed by former transition student Boone Richter out of Brownsville, Oregon. Additional music provided by Lon Thornburg. For questions, comments, or episode ideas, please email us at OregonTransitionPodcast at gmail.com. And for the latest OTP news, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you go into guardianship, you no longer can vote. So many people, of course, you want to be able to vote. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that are cut off with guardianship that if you do the supported decision-making, then you still have those rights. Wow, I didn't realize you couldn't vote. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. Somebody Mm -hmm. told me I couldn't vote.